Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 27, Priests in Need of a Priest. And in this episode, I'd like us to take a close look at Exodus 32, an event that takes place while Moses is on Mount Sinai receiving the law from the Lord and what Aaron, his brother, and the people of Israel do at the base of the mountain at the exact same time. And then I'd like us to take a look at what God has called his people to be for the world and for him and how that relates to mankind's original calling in the garden. And then to ultimately end with some questions about the kind of priest that you and I would want in our own lives and the kind of priests that we in fact ourselves are becoming. And so I'm really excited to jump into this. We're going to take a look at Exodus 32 in in detail, and I think that you're going to be encouraged by what we find there. So here we go. Before we jump right into Exodus 32, let me bring you up to speed with a little bit of background knowledge that you need before we get into this chapter If you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 when the Lord God commanded the man to work the ground and to keep it, we went over a number of the episodes where I shared that those verbs work and keep are oftentimes used of priests later in the tabernacle to describe both their worship of the Lord God in the temple and and offering the sacrifices and and, um, and, and sense and, and bringing the people into the presence of the Lord, but also to keep and to guard it. And that was the service that they performed in the tabernacle. And we looked at the garden as being actually the first, the first temple, the first place where offerings and sacrifices were made. And then, of course, God's original calling for Abram as his covenant people was to restore back that calling that all humanity was once given to spread over the face of the earth and to act as priests. And I'm not just pulling this from nowhere. Um, When the Lord God redeems his people from slavery in Egypt, 12 different times Moses tells Pharaoh to let God's people go so that they may worship the Lord in the wilderness. And here are these verses again, these same verbs are used to describe what the people will then be free to do will be to work the ground and keep it. They will be to act as priests in the presence of the Lord. And then when God himself brings the people of Israel out of Egypt to the base of Mount Sinai, he says this to them in a very, very significant Old Testament passage, Exodus 19, 4 through 6. He's speaking to the people and he says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, although all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so the Lord proceeds at this point to then give his people the Ten Commandments and beginning to explain to Moses the instructions for building a tabernacle so that the Lord God can dwell in the midst of his people and they can faithfully serve him and be to him a kingdom of priests, a whole nation who is God's go-between between him and the world and the world's go-between from between them and God. And so that's ultimately what the nation of Israel is called to be. And even within their own nation, chapters 28, 29, 30 of Exodus describe Aaron, 
Moses' brother, as the priest who is going to stand in for the people. And Aaron's sons will be anointed and consecrated in a certain way to be set apart to serve the Lord as his priests. And so when you come to chapter 32 of Exodus, it's, it's an interruption in what appears to be a rather dull and somewhat boring section of Exodus. It really isn't dull and boring, but it comes across that way because you and I don't have a lot of experience with measurements of tabernacle and, and linen garments and cloths and ephods that are worn over the, the breastplate of a priest and, and so on and so forth. But in the middle of all of these commandments about how the tabernacle is going to be erected and why it's so important for the priests to be set aside and cleansed and made pure so that they can enter the presence of the Lord, right in the middle of all of that, there's a narrative. And so it, it if nothing else, it, it draws our attention back into the story. And so I just want to read for you Exodus 32 in its entirety. It's 35 verses, but I will read it as quickly and as with as much um, um, intensity as I can for, for your listening purposes, but feel free to follow along in the Bible with me or just, just listen. Here's what it says. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord God said to Moses, Go down, for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back they were written. 
The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that, had, that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, Why did this people do to you? What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about three thousand men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now... If you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Now, it's absolutely crucial for you and I to understand the role of a priest in order to understand exactly what is going on in this story. First of all, a priest represents God to the people, and a priest represents the people to God. A priest takes on the roles and the calling of each of these parts in order to bring them both what they want and both what the other expects. And I don't know if you picked it up in the story, but in this particular story, Moses is very, very clearly and somewhat oddly spoken about by the Lord in terms that you and I would think would only apply to the Lord. Here's what God says to Moses in verse 7 of Exodus 32. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt 
have corrupted themselves. Now, <laughs> if you were reading along in the story prior to the passages that I have just been reading for you, you would know that the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God himself says so to the people in Exodus 19. And yet here, the Lord looks to Moses and says, the people you brought out. Why? Because Moses, in some sense here, is representing God to the people. He is, in fact, acting as a priest. Remember, the entire nation was called upon to act as the Lord's representative to the nations and act as the nation's representatives to the Lord. But if you remember that from, from the, a previous podcast episode, that is the stated reason for their quest. That is the stated reason for what the Lord God desires to do in and through his people. But we looked at with the quest narrative that the real reason for the quest is often different. And here we're introduced to the first time for the real reason for the quest is one that is going to reveal to the people it is not enough simply to be called to be priests but that you yourselves, as those I'm calling to be my representatives to the world, are also going to need someone to represent you. And so while Moses is spoken about in language that's very, very closely tied to God, I want you to listen to the way this passage ends at, by how closely Aaron is attached to the people. Here's what it says in the final verse of Exodus 32, it says that the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. Now, if you're reading that verse, the people made the calf the one that Aaron made, you might be forced to ask the question, so who made the golden calf, Aaron or the people? And the answer, according to Exodus 32, is yes. Did Aaron make the calf or did the people make the calf? And you would say, yes. Why? Because Aaron is representing the people to God. And so I want you to watch what happens in this interchange, primarily what happens when the Lord God comes to Moses and plants in Moses's mind the Lord's intentions now as a result of his people's sin. What does Moses do when the Lord God says, step aside, Moses, I'm going to, and if you, if you miss this, you might miss the thrust of the whole narrative, so I won't allow you to miss it. But the Lord says to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Verse 10, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, I'm not sure what you would do in a situation like that. What I might do in a situation like that when a stubborn, resistant, rebellious, complaining, bickering people has finally done it for the last time and the Lord is fed up with them, says to Moses, step aside. I am going to wipe them out and I'm going to make a great nation from you. I'm going to make a great nation from you, Moses. I'm going to put you on top. It's going to be your descendants that are the ones that I'm going to lead here. How does Moses respond as a representative of God to the people? 
What Moses does in the next breath is incredibly important for us to understand God's side of this equation. Because what does Moses say? Moses pleads with the Lord not to do this, and he gives the Lord two reasons why he shouldn't. He says, if you do this, then the Egyptians will say it was for evil intent that he brought them into the wilderness. He saved them from Egypt, sure, but it was because he was really cruel and he just wanted to dispose of them himself. Moses says, God, you've got a reputation to uphold in the eyes of the nations, in the eyes of the very people you've called us to be priests to. We have to represent you faithfully to the nations. And if they come to believe that you're a God who doesn't care what they think about you, if you're a God who doesn't care about your reputation, then it's all going to be for nothing. But then Moses gives the Lord God a second reason why he should not destroy the people. And he says, you made a promise to them. You promised them that you were going to deliver them. You have to be a God who keeps your word. Even in the face of being offered for the Lord to make Moses into a great nation himself, Moses says no for the benefit of God's reputation among the nations and for the fact that God is a God who keeps his word. You cannot act in this way. And so we're told that the Lord God relented and did not bring about the absolute destruction of the nation. That is what a priest does who represents God to the nations. That is what a priest does and how a priest acts who represents God to the world. He rests in the compassion of God, the nature of God. And how many times in the Bible will we go on to read things like, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Psalm 25, 11. Or Psalm 23. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the Lord's name is at stake when it comes time to decide, is he going to flippantly cast off his people forever or will he remain faithful to them? Now, that's Moses' side of the equation. But we have another priest who's been installed as the chief priest, as the head priest, as the high priest over the people of Israel. And when Moses comes to him, when Moses comes to Aaron and he says in verse 21, what did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man, Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I mean, uh, Moses, I mean, I don't know. You know what it's like, right? How on earth am I supposed to deal with this stubborn people? You know that they're just stubborn. Now, this is a sad flip of the scene that we just read with Moses as the Lord's representative. Now we get a glimpse of Aaron as the people's representative before the Lord. And what does Aaron do with the people? He throws them under the bus. It was the people. He throws them under the bus to such an extent that he actually says to Moses, I just tossed all their gold in the fire and out came this calf. 
Never mind the fact that the narrator's summation of the story is that the people made the calf the one that Aaron made right because Aaron is standing in as the people's representative head just as Moses is standing in as the Lord's representative. And right here in this one narrative, when Wrath is burning hot. Moses steps in as the Lord's representative and says, for your own honor, for your own name, for your own praise, and because you're a God who keeps his word, do not wipe this people out, even when the temptation for me to have a nation all by myself is placed before me. The flip is that Aaron is the representative of the people. And his attitude is one of protect myself at all costs, even to the exclusion of my people, even to the exclusion of the nations. And Aaron is going to be a mirror. He's going to be a picture for you and I to understand vast portions of the Old Testament when it comes time to see Israel's reaction, Israel's thoughts, Israel's stance toward the nations as those who deserve nothing but the wrath of God and eagerly sit back waiting for him to deliver punishment and wrath, forgetting that their calling is to be so in tune with the Lord himself, so much in fellowship and in communion with him that they plead with the Lord to have mercy on his enemies and on their enemies for the Lord's name's sake. And so Aaron, as a priest who's willing to throw the people under the bus, does not stand in and deal with it. And Moses has to come in and say, yes, punishment will have to happen. I need to call people who are going to be on the Lord's side, who are going to do the work that the Lord does ultimately so that I can bring blessing and peace to the world. But in Scripture, all throughout the Bible, you and I are to see ourselves not only in this covenant community, but to recognize that from time to time, there are leaders, kings, priests, prophets, others who will stand in as representatives for the people. And right here in Exodus 32, the nation of Israel is called to be a kingdom of priests. And before Moses even gets down from the mountain to explain to the people how that should look, They are committing such blatant sin that they find themselves desperately in need of a priest. And in that moment, their representative to God is doing a pitiful job of helping them out of the mess that they find themselves in. But God's representative to the people in Moses does just what the Lord needs for his mercy and compassion to win the day on the people as a whole. And I think as you read this narrative, we are invited to ask the question, which kind of priest would you want in your own life? Which kind of people have had the most influence on you over your own life? Those who come to you pleading on your behalf, pleading with those in authority over you or the ability to do things to you that would redirect your life, maybe even in a way that you don't want? Would you want those kinds of people pleading on your behalf that only blessing comes to you, not cursing? How many of the closest people that you know and respect 
leaders maybe in your churches or friends along the way who have been great mentors to you or older men and women in your life who have spoken truth to you in a way that you could understand it, who you know have your back and are interested in what is absolutely best for you, how much do you desire to be around people like that? And how easy is it for you to wish the worst upon those who throw you under the bus when things get tough? When they were just as complicit in actions as you that did not turn out to be the way either of you wanted, and when they're called on the carpet for it, they blame you. They look at you and say, well, those people just get what they deserve because you know those people, how they're bent on evil. They just do whatever they want. I mean, I got nothing. They gave me their stuff. I threw it in the fire. Out came this calf. Aaron is completely removing himself from a representative of the people position. He's completely abrogated that role. And you will watch, and I will watch, and we will watch together. Israel, do just that with the nations. Oh, sweet. Those nations, those wicked people. God, when do you want us to destroy them? When do you want us to kill them? And Lord God is saying, what is wrong with you? I do not desire the death of anyone. I desire that they repent and live just like I want you to repent and live. But it isn't enough just for you and I to ask, which kind of priest would you want? That question is obvious. We would want a Moses. We would want somebody stepping into our lives and pleading for the Lord to be merciful to us because of who the Lord is. And as you continue reading throughout the biblical story, you're going to come face to face with one truth, and it is this. There is no other reason for the Lord to be merciful except it's found in his character. Because there are no reasons found in humanity why the Lord should be merciful. But a bigger question, I think, than rather which priest would you want in your own life, a question that the narrative is encouraging us to ask and then to seek an answer for, is which kind of priest are you? You see, as I shared with the three levels of scripture, we are all humanity called to work the ground and keep it called to serve the Lord God and serve his world and to prevent wickedness from entering that domain. We are called to be the Lord's priests in the world. And then his covenant community is very explicitly defined as a kingdom of priests. You are to be a collective group representing God to the nations and representing the nations to God. And within that covenant community, you then also have individual people who believe as God's chosen people, as his followers, as followers of Jesus, to act in such a way that you, as 1 Peter 2 tells us, are also a kingdom of priests and a royal nation called to be representatives of God to the people and representatives of the people to God. To stand in that role, we're face to face with what kind of priest am I becoming? Am I becoming someone who is increasingly comfortable skirting the issues of those around me so as to willfully request the Lord's judgment on those peoples because, you know, I got nothing. I just threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I mean, don't look at me. Or are we men and women who increasingly recognize that the world around us desperately needs someone who will intercede for them? on their behalf to the Lord God 
who is perfectly within his rights to send judgment on a wayward and a wayward and wicked world, but who say, for your own name's sake, for your reputation among the nations, for the fact that you kept a promise to these people to look after them, I want you to remain true to yourself, because if you don't, it's all hopeless and it's all lost. And so what kind of priest are you? What kind of priest is your church? Do they represent? Because as we see, Aaron stands in for the people and the people very much so will embody Aaron's mentality toward the nations in the same way that Aaron embodied it toward them. And yet the Lord will continually call his people to find their identity in his chosen one, in this instance, Moses, who most accurately represents his attitude toward the nations, despite what their attitude toward him happens to be. And of course, in Exodus 32, their attitude toward him is one of idolatry. This will be hands down the biggest sin problem of the nation throughout the entire Old Testament. And it leads perfectly into the second largest problem, and that is injustice. Because who the people think the Lord God is or who they think God is will directly affect the way they choose to live. And he will have ample reason to call them on the carpet for their waywardness, for their injustice, for their unrighteousness, and for their unwillingness to lay down their own lives for those who don't yet know him, standing in the gap as his representative heads for the people and as representative heads of the people for to God and from God to the people. So, of course, we see this most clearly in Jesus who comes as our representative head, as our representative high priest. Jesus taking on humanity steps in the gap and he brings the representation of God to us showing us the way to find life, showing us the way to turn from waywardness and sinfulness so that he can represent God's love to the world. But he also comes as a human so that he is adequately able to represent us back to God. And both are crucial. Both are needed. Both need to be perfectly accomplished in one person. In Exodus 32, you and I only get a glimpse of one half of it. And it is not a completed picture. And it will not be a completed picture all through Israel's history as they will continue to trip and to stumble over their own two feet, trying their darndest to want God's righteousness and want God's justice for the world, but only as it applies to those outside their covenant community. They remain very hard-hearted toward allowing the presence of God's justice and His righteousness to enter into their own brokenness and their own darkness, their own impatience, their own lovelessness. But in Jesus, who comes to heal all brokenness, we find freedom to reach deep inside the depths of our own hearts, to experience the presence of God's representative for us in those places, and to be that same representative for us back to God, who sets us free, who liberates us from the things that keep us in hiding and that keep us in the dark 
and that ultimately put us on a path completely to be restored to the kingdom of priests we were originally created to be. And so that's all the time that we have for this week's episode. So thankful for you to be tuning in and continue to send me your questions or comments whenever you feel the need to do so. I would love to hear from you. Um, Until next time, have a great week.